Romans chapter 15, I want to look at, I want to go back to verse 14, although we did cover verse 14 on Wednesday night. I think it's, it's uh, actually I was looking to actually go much further on Wednesday night and of course Larry had to bring up, well, you made it through a verse Mike, thanks Larry, I appreciate you mentioning that to us. But Romans chapter 15 verses 14 through 21 is where I want to read this morning and then kind of zero in basically on, on verse 15 and uh, into 16 some, but It says, and concerning you, I'm going to read from the New American Standard 2020. It says, concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the powers of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in this way, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known by name, so that I would not build on another person's foundation. But just as it is written, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will understand. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning concerning this passage that you would illuminate those things that you desire to share and to speak into our hearts. And Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Getting down toward the end of Romans, I'm going to be saying that until we're done, I guess. And, and it's, it's interesting because in some regards, this feels like it's, it's becoming more personal in, at the end of this letter. Uh, and because of that, we're probably not going to delve into verse or chapter eight, uh, 16 too much. And, and for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm, having to really read and reread and reread to really kind of get a better idea of what it is that, that, that Paul is saying and what, what truths um, that he is bringing forth. And, and even in that, it was like, okay, this is in the Scripture for a reason, and, and why would that be the case? And, and so um, 
kind of digging through this and trying to uh, get a better understanding of, of Paul is still really throwing out some good good principles here. And because of the way they're written, it's, it's almost easy to pass them by. He, but he begins back in, in verse 14, which I won't, I'm just going to mention and keep moving, where he said that, that they, were, they were filled with all goodness and uh, they were filled with knowledge and they were able to admonish one another. And, and so morally, they were filled with goodness. I talked about this Wednesday night. Intellectually, they were complete in knowledge. But functionally, they were competent to be able to, to instruct or to counsel or to give advice even to, to one another. Um, and so Paul then goes on to say, I've written these things very boldly to you in some point so as you, to remind you again because of the grace of God that was given to me from God. I'll stop. But he goes back and he refers to that which he's already written. And as I thought about this, I thought about uh, particularly chapters, well, actually the entire book, but particularly chapters 9 through 11 because that felt like I, we were going over the Rubicon. You know, you know what the Rubicon is? Ever heard of the Rubicon besides it's, it's the name of a Jeep? It's, a, it's an off-road trail on the west side of Lake Tahoe, and it's, it's, you need a good Jeep to get up or some kind of off-road vehicle to get up that thing. But it, it, it felt like we were going over uh, a very rough road at times going through uh, those passages, and yet I think they were very important for us to look at. Probably some of the most in-depth theology in the entire New Testament, I think, is found. Uh, in that portion of the book of Romans. But in reality, the entire book of Romans has some of the most in-depth theology that we can deal with. And so he, he tells them, uh, I've written to you very boldly uh, on some points as to remind you again. And what is the reminder that he's going to give them? To remind them again of the grace that was given to him Verse 15, where he says, the grace given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, as I mentioned last Sunday, as we were looking through the earlier part of this particular chapter, that it seems like the shift has taken place again in the emphasis of whom it is that Paul is addressing. Now, he's addressing the entire church. And the church in Rome consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. But it really reads, particularly from, uh, from verse 7 all on, that, that Paul is talking to more to the Jews about the Gentiles and, and um, how the Gentiles to, uh, were to give glory to God for his mercy and as it is written. And we looked at those, we referred to those passages last week, uh, this idea of rejoicing and this idea of confessing, uh, this idea of praising, and then the, the whole idea of the root that comes out of Jesse. We're referring back to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1, and then chapter 11, verse 10. And so he's, he's undergirding yet again uh, his calling of the ministry to the Gentile people. 
and goes on even to say that he wants to go into places where, where, where other people have not gone, not wanting to build on, a, on another person's foundation, uh, and then referring to where they have been, uh, the scripture where it says they have, verse 21, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will understand. So I'm reading this, and I'm asking myself, why is he even saying this here? And I thought, I don't know. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, uh, no, um, I, and I really, I, I, I'm still, I'm not sure. I'm going to give you my best shot. How's that? But I, I, I'm not sure why he's referring to this. But I think it's important, first of all, when we read this again, this is a very personal part of the letter. He is referring specifically to his calling. Is referring to his calling. And I think once we, we understand that, I think that might open some things up for us. And he, he says some things here that, that really fascinate me. Um, he went on to say that, um, I've written to you very boldly on some points, to remind you again. Notice to remind you what? Again. In other words, okay, when you're reminded of something, that means you knew it before or somebody told you before, right? When you are reminded again, that means someone has reminded you in the past. So he's rehearsing or re-rehearsing some biblical truths. So he's going to use himself as an illustration. I'm going to get into that in a second. But he's re-rehearsing that which they've already been told. Do you, and, and don't raise your hands, but do you ever come to church and you're like, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Particularly on those mornings when you drag yourself in, when you didn't want to come. Now, I know that none of you have a morning like that, do you? Of course we all do. I had someone share with me recently, I, I didn't even want to come this morning. And, and you started teaching, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. Okay, whatever, you know. And all of a sudden, somehow, the Spirit of God took some of the things that I said and really impacted this person. And when they were telling me this, they were in tears. They were, they were moved that much by the Spirit of God. And, and, and I think... What it is that, yes, we do rehearse things. We do go back to the truths. But what I find, because I've only been a Christian for a short while, right? I've only been a Christian since 1966. So I've only got a few years behind me, right? And, And I still need to be reminded of these things. If for no other reason that you and I, our weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are spiritual in nature. And, and particularly when we are in a spiritual battle, uh, because I'm convinced that sometimes the spiritual battles that you and I are in, if I can say this kind of bluntly, that the powers of darkness, they just want to make you mad. And they just want to ruin your day. And they just want to agitate you. And, you know, with some of us, 
it doesn't take a whole lot. And, and you know, what I have found is when I'm really agitated, when I'm really agitated, there's a tendency to put all this, all this that I've learned, all this that I've been taught, all this that I've read, all this that I have prayed through, read through, meditated on, all of this just gets pushed to the side. And you just kind of lose your way. So there's that, that, I think there's that constant renewing, constant reminding, constant calling back to the things of God. Hebrews is really clear on that. And even when he tells him, you, you guys aren't really ready for this, uh, the more advanced things. And, and I wish they were ready for the more advanced things because I really would have liked to have seen and read what the author of Hebrews would have written about had they been ready. But he went back to the elementary fundamental things. We need, I think, to be reminded again. I think we need to be reminded to the goodness of God. Hopefully, and I'm making a suggestion here, hopefully every day you celebrate in some way, some form, some shape, some fashion, the goodness of God in your life. Even if your life sucks. Because sometimes it does. But he is a good, good father and we are loved by him. And to be reminded of that, to take that into consideration. And, and as I told you last week, and I'm going to probably keep saying this for a while, that is so much easier for you to hear on Sunday mornings and so much easier for me to say on a Sunday morning than it is on a Tuesday afternoon when you are about to just lose your religion completely. That's a southern term for I'm about to get very angry, right? Because life is challenging. Paul understood this when he told the Corinthians, he said, we among all people are, would be most miserable if it were not for the promise of the resurrection. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we would be among all people most miserable. So if, the, if there isn't a resurrection, if there isn't the promise of the resurrection, who needs this? Right? Might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But we, we, I talked about it last week. Verses 4 through 13. We've been given a hope. And within that hope, we have that capacity to glorify God. And so we're reminded again, because of the grace given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That is such a full passage. Let's look at it a little bit, and then we'll be done. He reminds them, because of the grace of God, I always like looking up this word because I, I, I always default to unmerited favor. And that is a good definition of grace. 
unmerited favor, having the favor of God even though you don't deserve it. You did not merit it, right? Unmerited favor. But it also means, and I went through a couple of uh, Greek dictionaries, exceptional effect produced by generosity. Exceptional effect produced by favor. And it also refers to the effects uh, produced by divine benefit Follow this one. This is important because I think this really captures the essence of this passage. The effects produced by divine benefit, which go beyond those associated with a specific Christian status. Which goes beyond those associated with a specific Christian status or even a specific Christian's abilities. It goes beyond our specific abilities. See, Paul knows that he is called as an apostle by the grace of God. And because he has been called, he has been given the grace to produce an exceptional effect in his life. Because he is called he has been given the grace to be fitted uh, out, really to be equipped with, with powers and capacities that are needful for the calling for which he has been called to. Hopefully I remembered all that. I said it slow enough, but, it is, but, but I, I think it's, because at, at times we throw around grace. We throw around grace. And we are saved by grace. It's God's unmerited favor. But grace, we, I think it's I think it, very biblical, and I think this, this is yet just one passage that undergirds this idea is that grace is not only this just this this sense of in in endowment that we've been given by God but it's also this sense of empowerment remember the word gifts charisma is very close to the greek word for grace which is charis the only difference between charis and charisma is the last two letters, the M-A, which is a suffix in the Greek, which means the result of that word. In other words, the results of grace. Gifts are the results of grace. So that when we talk about God's grace as this empowering work in our lives, we really are talking about God's gifts as well. They're really, in many respects, they're really interchangeable. The grace of God that was given to Paul from God. This word given even is interesting in this phrase. It, 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 is, is, it refers to this idea of some, to cause to happen. For instance, if I ask Clay to go turn off the lights, that's the same concept. And he walked over and he flipped the switch. He would cause it to be darker in here, right? 
a little bit. It's this idea of causing something to happen. So I, because of the grace that God caused to happen in my life, that it's really referring to the supernatural empowerment in our living. It even refers to this idea of an appointment to a special responsibility. So within the definition of the word, it's not only referring to a calling that is given, but an empowerment to fulfill the calling is given as well. Because of the grace that was given to Paul, by God to be a minister. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, often in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word minister in English is translated from the Greek word diakonos, which could also be translated servant. But that is not the case here. There's a distinction that is being made. I think it's important to recognize that, it, it, and often the Bible does talk about us to be a servant. And if we are called by God to, to any type of ministry, it really does involve being a servant, does it not? And often it is that you really know how much of a servant you are when you're being treated like one but I'll just leave that out there for free. It is the Greek word letorgos. Letorgos. Liturgy. That's where the word liturgy comes from. It really means work of the people. That's all it means. We get hung up on these words, but that's all it means. It's, it's derived from the Greek word liturgos. Which is an interesting word because in the Greek it's also used of secular life as let, let's say someone who is a servant of the state. We used to call them civil servants. Then we realized that that wasn't really the case, but I digress. But anyway, but that, that's essentially what it, it, it is used in secular Greek. But it's also translated... Referring to the priest in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2. We won't take the time to look at that. But it's referring to the priest in the temple in Jerusalem. Instead of calling them priests, the Greek calls them liturgos. It's also often used in the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament, referring to the priest. It's not referring to what they're doing. It's referring to their, it's a noun, not a verb. It's not an action word. So it's referring to them, person, place, or thing, right? And so Paul is speaking of his being a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he's really speaking uh, that, that his ministry of preaching the gospel He's, re, he's equating it here as a priestly ministry. 
He's equating it here to a priestly ministry. Now, don't push that too far away from you because I want to drive that home in a little bit. I'm going to come back to it. But he's really essentially referring to the work that he is doing as a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gospels. Excuse me, to the Gentiles. I'll get back in the room with you. Uh, It's really equal to the to the and equal uh, in value and equal to the sacredness of the ministry of the priesthood in the Old Testament temple. That's what he's referring to here. And then. He says to be a minister of the Gospels to the Gentiles, ministering, a slightly different Greek word. Now we're in the adjective realm, okay? But it's an action word. It's, it could almost be a verb. Um, it's talking about this idea of ministering, and it is the Greek word that was used in the Septuagint that refers to the actions of the priest when they were ministering in the temple the things in which they did. In Paul's case here is the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. So here he's, he's using priestly language, referring to, and again, he could have pulled the apostle card here, could he not? See, that, that fascinates me that he, he refers to himself as a liturgos, as a minister, he could have gone with the big capital A apostle because that's who he was as well. And he says, as a minister, I am doing the work of service to God, equivalent to what the priests were doing in the temple. In, in, and it even says here in, in the New American Standard, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. And he stays with this language, this idea of of using the temple as an analogy for his ministry. You follow me on this? He stays with this language in, in in the next little phrase where he says, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the in the New King James, it says it a little bit differently. And it says that the offering of the Gentiles, and now you may have in your margin, if you have a new King James like mine, it would say that the offering consisting of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I I think the context is here, and I, I think the New American Standard, they got it right, where it's referring to Paul is saying that the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry, which is equal to the work of the temple, because he himself is like a priest in the temple, is his form of offering to God. His preaching the gospel to the Gentiles is a part of his worship which that theme runs consistent throughout the 15th chapter as we looked at last week when we looked at verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12, particularly 9, 10, and 11 are all expressions of worship, confess, rejoice, praise. So he, he's, 
He's calling us. As he writes this, he, he, he wrote things rather boldly, but he's calling us and reminding us of his ministry, which he does as a form of worship to God. See, that's the real reminder. Now, that this idea of his offering of the Gentiles, his ministry to the Gentiles, that it would be acceptable. So I looked up, went back to Romans chapter 12, went back to Romans 12, and therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, verse 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual your spiritual service of worship. Is it the same Greek word? No, it's not. I think the concept is the same. Just letting you know, trying to be honest with you here, all right? But, but again, I think that, that, that what I just read to you out of Romans 12 really sets the tone for the rest of this book. That this is in part of you presenting your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. And, and Peter talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He talks about this idea of, of, of us being a, a house of living stone. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. He's saying the same exact thing here that Paul says in Romans 15. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Same Greek word, okay? Same Greek word. Acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Took a while. Lost my place in my notes. So this idea of doing something that's acceptable to God. I'm going to backtrack into that as well. So that it is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Boy, I, I gave a lot of thought about this idea of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This idea of the calling empowered by the grace of God, working as a, doing the work of equivalent to the priest in the temple, doing the same ministry as the priest did in worshiping God that is acceptable to God and it is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This idea of the Holy Spirit sanctifying is that is something that is set apart. Something uh, that, that, that is, is made suitable for it. This is a very generic uh, definition. Something that is made suitable for, for ritual type of purposes. It is the word, in, uh, I believe, in the Septuagint that is used to define or describe all the elements in the temple that were set aside specifically for the worship of God in the temple. 
all the instruments, all the, the, the bowls and, and the, the, the utensils and that, that type of thing. And, and it, it means to dedicate, to sanctify, to consecrate, that is to set apart. So as I thought about this, and I thought, still, why is Paul writing this? I haven't gotten past that one yet. Why is Paul writing this? I dropped a hint or two. I think he's using himself as an example of how we are called to live. He's doing it kind of subtly, kind of sly. Elsewhere, he'll say stuff like, follow me as I'm following Christ. That's pretty direct, isn't it? But I think what he is saying, and again, he's reminding them again, of the grace of God that was given to him. He's reminding them again of his particular calling because he's desiring for them to understand and to get a hold of their particular calling. In other words, he's making this quite personal in a very subtle way, I think. Because of the grace of God that was given to you. For you to be a minister of Christ Jesus to whomever God puts in your path. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God. So that your offering of whomever it is that God puts in your path to minister to. May become acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's really saying without saying it. it it's, it's kind of, a, he's kind of coming in the back door of commissioning the reader. And, and saying, really, as I thought about this, the, the, the question just begs me to ask of you and to ask of myself, are you called of God for something? I think it's pretty clear that the Bible states that you are. Now, you may not know what it is. It might change through your lifetime. Matter of fact, it probably does change through your lifetime. It may not be forever, it might be for a season. And, I, and I, I think sometimes that we, th- we talk about God's calling, we always want to put it on such a big scale. We always want to put it on such a big scale that I think we forget that, that, that the Lord even blesses the cup of cold water that we give to a child in, in Jesus' name. And, and to recognize that, that while we may have a particular while we may have a particular calling that's like an umbrella over us, within the confines of that a particular calling, there are several little areas 
in our life that we have invitations from God to be priests, ministers, serving, so that it will be an acceptable offering to God and it is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's set apart by the Holy Spirit. Why is it set apart by the Holy Spirit? Why is it sanctified? This is where we come full circle back to calling because if you're not called of God, then why would you want to do it anyway? I've told people, I I remember what my pastor told me, but I've told people a version of this, but he, when I, we were talking about going in the ministry and he said to me, he says, Mike, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. And I just thought, man, that is such sage advice, really. And I've kind of taken that and augmented it, of course, you know, and I tell people if you're, if you are, if, 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 if you're a pastor, you're either called or you're crazy or a little bit of both. And, in other words, it's one of those things that you don't want to mess in or meddle in if you're not called to do. But the reality is calling is calling, is it not? Is it not? And, and if you are called... To do a certain thing or say a certain thing to a certain group of people. And it's not my calling. The best thing I can do as your pastor just to encourage you in the faith and then stay out of your way. And let you fulfill that calling. Because if you are called, then you are given God's grace. That is, you are equipped. You are empowered. Romans chapter 12, again, verse 6 says, Having then gifts, charisma, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Remember, we talked about that. It seemed like it was so long ago. We're in chapter 12. But, But we have different gifts according to the grace that God gives us. And you find, find your fullness of purpose fulfilling the gift that God has given you. Because the gift is associated, I believe, with the calling. And with the calling comes the empowering. God doesn't call you to do things and then leave you out there all by yourself. God calls you to do things and then he breathes his spirit. That's another form of sanctification. He breathes his spirit into that work. So he's the the one who empowers. He's the one who sets aside. He sanctifies it. He makes it holy. He's the one who calls. He's the one who leads. He's the one who opens the door. And then, and then when all that is said and done, we get the opportunity to present it to God as a sacrifice, an acceptable offering to him. 
which he really did it all anyway. We just happen to be the instrument. To me, that, that, just, that just fascinates me. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, there's that word again, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's calling is God's empowering. We need to be reminded of these things over and over again. Why? Because the reality is I think I think we I think we minister best. I think we serve best. I think we hear the word of God best when our life is uncluttered with the sin that can collect up inside of us. And really, when you stop and think about it, I think the life of a Christian is a life of constant renewing and a life of constant repenting. And actually, unless you have the constant repenting, you don't have the constant renewing. I got them backwards, sorry. And, And... with that continual repenting, that continual renewing, that continual reminding, then we are in a place that we are able to be used by the Spirit of God who calls us to be his priest, as Peter talked about, who calls us to the work of ministering like the priest did in the temple so that we can offer it to him as a sacrifice of praise. And it can become our form of worship to him. So to me, that's, to me, that's really, that's really a good deal. You think about it. It really is. That God comes and calls, he goes before us, and then he comes in and empowers us, he stands with us, and then he even goes behind us. And as we offer, of all things, we offer it to him as as an act of worship, and he says, good job. Of course, when we get into heaven, when we stand before God, what are we expecting to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. No wonder, no wonder in Revelation chapter 4, they take those crowns off and they cast them at his feet. Because it's then, I, th- I don't think we're ever going to get it until we get 